0: me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Thank you, kids, for that good presentation and you workers that are doing an amazing job on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We're going to look at uh, Luke 7, verse 19 to 35, and we're going to think about John the Baptist and a lesson that John teaches us. Not that he's teaching it but that we learn it from his experience of faith. Now, there's a difference between unbelief and doubt. You can think about that for a while. There's a tremendous difference between doubt and unbelief. John experiences doubt, but his problem is not unbelief. He has a problem with doubt. And if you're here today and say you never have a doubt in your faith, you're a very unusual person, very odd person. So I hope you're there. But let's read the story together, beginning with verse 19. And John, (coughs) calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? In the same hour he cured many of the infirmities and plagues and the evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Jesus did this. Verse 22, And Jesus answering said unto those two disciples, of John. Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out to the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously appareled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out? For to see, this is three times he he did that rhetorical question. A prophet, yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, <coughs> Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And then we continue. Verse 28. For I say unto you, Among those that are born of woman, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Did you hear that? Verse 28. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's an amazing statement in verse 28. If you 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 wonder why I'm stopping there. We're gonna we're gonna say more about this. You think about verse 28. <clears throat> and then he says, and all the people that heard Jesus, and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of John. And the Lord said, and the Lord said. Where unto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine. Ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a winebibber, the friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her our children. That will not add up to you until some explanation comes out. If I have time to give that explanation, I will today. But we start off the story here with John the Baptist sending two of his disciples to Jesus And uh, they ask what seems to be a strange question in in verse 19. It looks strange. It seems strange to me when when I first read it. And here it is, verse 19. And John calling unto him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Now, if you have been entrenched in the Bible as long as I have, and you have noticed and understand that John is this great prophet that is sent to announce the coming of Jesus. And then you read this where he says, Are you the one, or should we look for someone else? That's a big contrast between what his calling is and what he is doing and who he is to what he's experiencing that day. Now, remember John. uh, what, What we know about John, he... He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. Think about, uh, an Old Testament prophet was would have this revelation of God to, to give to the people. John is the last of those uh, prophets. He, he lived outside. Remember, he lived out in the wilderness and he dressed in camel's hair and uh, and he ate wild honey and locusts. I mean, I mean, he's not a weakling. He's not a sensitive kind of guy. Uh, he prepared the way of Jesus, he announced the ministry of Jesus, he baptized Jesus, he points to Jesus and says he's the Messiah, the coming Messiah to the world, and he preached to the people preparing them for the coming of Jesus into that role as Messiah, and then he is mistaken as being the Messiah, right? You know, if you know all this, you, you understand, right? Maybe I'm... You know, I'm sharing with you something you've never thought about, but these, these are the things we know about John. And and hi, in his preaching, he addressed King Herod's sin by taking his brother's wife, right? He took Philip's wife. He's living in an adulterous relationship with Herodias, the, the, the wife of his brother. And John brings this out and points his finger and says, that's not right. You have broken the laws of God, and you are a uh, law-abiding king that should be obeying the law and giving a good example to people under the law. But he points his finger out to them and says, this is your problem. Remember, Herodias didn't like this very much. She didn't do anything about it. She didn't make a big deal about it, but she plotted and brought her daughter into the thing. And his daughter danced for Herod, and he was so pleased with that dance that the tradition of saying, I will give you whatever you asked for this uh, for this uh, uh, pleasing, sensual, pleasing dance that you did for me. And so what did Herodias do? She put the, the thing in the, the ear of her daughter, asked for John the Baptist, his head. Very common under uh, those days and many days before is to ask for something like that. And so Herod, against his will... Kept his word, and they killed John. Took his head, put it on a platter, brought it before them. And of course, that's who he was. That's who we know. About. That's what we know about John. Now, we also know from from uh, h- history that John spent eighteen months in in that dungeon because of what he pointed out in Herod's life. He was paying a price for telling the truth in that terrible, dangerous place. What's going on with John? The great prophet, the great preacher, the holy man. Well, he's discouraged. He's discouraged. He'd been preaching that the kingdom is coming, that the Messiah will will judge the world and make things right, but he's sitting in prison. And he did the right thing, but he's in prison, and he's discouraged no fire has fallen on the Romans and destroyed the Romans. Herod's still on the throne. He's still on the throne, and John is in prison. Nothing has changed. Have you ever had that feeling of discouragement and discontent? John, by the way, doesn't have the information that you and I have that we know the end and all that, but John's struggling. So he sends these two disciples, and he says, Man, I can't believe what's going on. Everything that I believe, I've built my life on, I've stood for, all of these years I've stood out for, none of it's working out. It don't look like it's even true. Are you really the Messiah? What a great example for us. You say, What do you mean, preacher? What a great example. I'll tell you what, sometimes we don't need an example of how great someone could be. Sometimes we need to see an example of how how terrible they can experience things, how discouraged they can be. Because here's what happens. You and I go through discouragement. We go through things that don't work the way we think they should, and we think, man, why? And we feel like we're the only one. And we're experiencing this and nobody else is and God has forsaken us. God God doesn't love us. Why is it that we always go there? God doesn't love us. I think John gives us the best example of all his example in the fact that with all of that said and done and who he was, he is in the pit of discouragement down in that dungeon. Nothing was happening. Nothing was going right. And we as Christians experience this and we don't even want to share it with anyone. We don't even want to share it with other people that were discouraged. We don't want to share it with people that we're discontented, that we've had it about up to here, we can't stand much more. And we definitely don't want to share it with people that were discontented that we have had it about up to here we can not stand much more and we definitely do not want to share it with people that we even do not even know if we're really saved or not. Uh, am I really a Christian or am I a fake? Or we don't share that with one another. And you know what? If I were asked to a, a show of hands... Most of us, the brave ones, would raise our hand and say, Preacher, I've experienced every negative thing that you've mentioned, plus I could add a few more to it. Can anybody just say amen to that? So, nothing going on, nothing happening. Seem like we're failing. Seem like we're going the wrong direction. God is gracious to share with us. John's confusion. John's confusion. John is experiencing doubt. Now, I I labeled him when I was studying this week as doubting John. Doubting John. Who knows the doubter in the Bible? Thomas, is not John, that great prophet, doubting John? Nothing is going the way he said it was going to go. Now, he's the greatest prophet of all times, and and in the text, Jesus gives some encouragement to John, and and he gives to the two disciples, and he says, you take this on your way, take this back to John and tell him, uh, first of all, I want us to get this, that Jesus doesn't criticize John. How many of us have the experience of feeling like that God doesn't love us? that God doesn't care. Jesus doesn't criticize. How many of us, when we fall short, when we sin, when we mess up, and we all do, we don't want to talk about it, we would definitely not mention it to our friends because we are afraid they wouldn't be our friend anymore. Where do we get that? From the devil. But Jesus doesn't criticize John one bit for his doubt. I think that's something that we need to remember. In John 1, verse 14 and 17, Jesus is called the, the one who speaks with grace and truth. He always shares the truth with grace. Now, in the passage, verse 23, Jesus did not only tell uh, John what was going on, he actually quoted four Old Testament references uh, uh, and gave John biblical background for what he was doing in his ministry. So he, he gives him scripture, he gives John Scripture to encourage him to, through these two disciples, and they take this back to John. In, first, in 2 Peter 1, 19, it talks about being a light in darkness. Jesus is a light in darkness. John's going through darkness, and Jesus has given him light from the Scripture. And we've all been through a darkness. we have I've seen enough uh, of your nodding at me today and agreeing with me today that more of us are going through things like this than we even want to admit, when in reality we ought to be admitted to one another. We ought to be discussing it among ourselves. We ought to be open about it. One of the great uh, tools of Satan is th- to get us to, to hide our emotions and not share them with someone. When in reality we we should share that because everybody is having the same thing, but none of us knows it because we're ashamed to admit it. Well, we we go through this. John, as he stands up for John Jesus, he 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 says something. I'm, I'm gonna just give it to you quickly: 25 to 28. He wasn't a reed blowing in the wind. Jesus said that about him. He said, "Don't get the impression that John was a weak person. He wasn't a weed, a, a reed being blown about in the wind. He was strong. He was in the wilderness. He was living on honey and and, uh, and and he was dressed in have you ever worn camel's hair? That doesn't sound like I'd be itching just thinking about it, right? So he says, John wasn't a reed blowing in the wind. He said, John didn't have an easy life in verse 25. He said, John's not just a prophet, but he's the finest of all the prophets in verse 26. And then he says, John, uh, his work was difficult because of what he had to say and what he had to do. And then the last summary of John in verse 28. You don't shoot that on the screen. We all need to see it. For I say unto you, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Jesus is standing up for him, isn't he? Let me ask you something. What is Jesus doing for you today? He is your advocate. He is your mediator. And just as he stood up for John that day, Jesus is standing up for you in heaven today. And you know what? When we go through this depressed state, when we go through this big discouragement, we feel like everybody is against us and even God. Let's get a new frame of mind on this, if we can, please. He said he's the greatest of all the prophets. This is John the Baptist. But did you see the last part? And that's what I want to bring out to you today. But he... That is least in the kingdom of God, is greater than he. Wow! Did you get that last line? I, I just you. This is why I I brought the message from there. I was going to just read through this and skip it, but you know what? John was not a part of the kingdom of God. He was a prophet before the kingdom that is within us started. Okay, you got that? I don't have time to go through all that today. That's in a that's in a, a lesson thing that I do on a Sunday night or Wednesday night. But John is not a part of the, the kingdom of God in that he was before it. He was preparing us for that. To go into the kingdom, you must be born of the Spirit of God, right? Remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus understood all the Old Testament, but Nicodemus was not a Christian. He was not saved. He was not born again. And so what John, what Jesus is saying, what Luke is telling us about the words of Jesus here is that a Christian is in the kingdom of God. And the least of the Christian is more than the greatest prophet that ever walked the earth. You say. How many of us? How many are Christian? Raise your hand up real quick enough. I'm a Christian. I don't know which of us are the least of all the saved people in the world that's ever been. Does anybody think they might be? Raise your hand. We could all fit there, right? And we were t- we we're taught to fit there. Jesus taught us don't think of yourself as the greatest. Jesus taught us to think of yourself as the leastest. Okay. Jesus is evaluating you and I as greater than the greatest of all the prophets. What does Jesus think about us? Pretty good, isn't it? I hope that encourages you today. Now, that is against your nature to believe that. It's against the flesh, it's against what you're hearing. You know, we're in the Facebook age. We're in the uh, uh, social media age. Let me not give Facebook all the credit, right? We're in the social media age where people put up on Facebook how great it's going in their life. And you know what? That's fake book. That's fake book. I think those that put up the greatest pictures are probably more depressed, more discouraged, more discontented, And it goes up there, and then we look at it, and we say, Oh, they're in Hawaii, and there's no fire, and everything's going wonderful. They're in Florida, living up. They're in the Rockies. What a great time. And here I am working. A source of discouragement. When we go through these things, and every day let us remember that Jesus said... That you that are the least, you that are the weakest, you that are mired up in the trouble are thought of by God as greater than John the Baptist. Now, why are we greater is the question. Well, we're greater because contrary to what people want you to believe, we stand totally in faith alone. For by grace are we saved, what? Through faith. It's not of God. It's a gift of God, lest any mention of We're saved by trusting by faith that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose again, and he's in heaven, our mediator. Every bit of that is by faith. Now, you can find historical reference to it, and you can find people that will deny it. But we know it historically happened. And we stand totally as a Christian in faith alone. That's true, isn't it? We haven't seen the miracles of Jesus. We haven't seen the miracles of the Old Testament. John the Baptist saw these things. You and I are greater. We're a child of God because we stand in faith alone. We believe in the Savior. Having not seen, we have heard the testimony, we have read the testimony, and we believe by faith that the Son of God came, was born of a virgin, died on a cross at Calvary. We believe by faith and we're born into the kingdom of God because we're trusting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And here we are. Sometimes we get discouraged, Sometimes we doubt. We don't doubt God. We don't doubt Jesus. We doubt ourselves. That's where we stand. And guess what? You're not going to hear many preachers tell you this. But I'm committed to telling you the truth. Jesus doesn't often come through and deliver us from our trial. Jesus doesn't often. Say, "Oh, George, you have that problem. Let me take that problem away from you." Jesus doesn't often do that. Now you're here. You'll hear all over the day that Jesus is going to take care of your problem. Jesus is going to uh, fix this. Jesus is going to fix that, and use this tied when you send this money, and He'll do it. <laughs> but in reality, God doesn't deliver us from our problem. He walks with us through the problem. There's a big difference there. He doesn't often deliver us from our problem, but he will walk with us through the problem. Verse 23 in our text. This is tremendous scripture. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. I'm going to tell you something. You probably, like me, have read through that verse and just read right through it for years. Just read right through it. Read right through it and said, you know, I don't really get that, but anyway. You know what I'm talking about? You think about that verse. Think about it. Verse 23, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended. In we have a meeting this afternoon. At 2 o'clock, we don't really, let me not make a false announcement. We have a big meeting this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Six people are to be there. Four of them are on time. Two of them are 10 minutes late. Four people are very disappointed in those two people. I have given my time, I have come here to meet, and I'm sitting here, and two of you have enough arrogant attitude about yourself not to show up on time. And that is an offense. Are you with me? It is. You know, I, I, I watched something on Marilyn Monroe this past week, and she was uh, always two hours late for everything. And you wonder why they didn't want to use her on the last movie that she did. Look at it, verse twenty. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Does God always come through when we want him to? No. Does God do what I want him to do? No. Does God answer my prayer? Not often. Now let me ask you something. If God was to answer my prayer 100% of the time, how many times would I pray about everything going on and just feel so good about it? Would I be walking in faith or just, I'd have a magic formula that I went through. I'd have a magic formula. You know? I'd be I'd be praying, Lord, I don't want to work this week. Would you send me all the money I need for the next six weeks tomorrow? <laughs> we would we would quickly abuse that. And you know, a lot of a lot of times the attacks of, of atheism and things like that are the same thing I'm saying. They say, well, if God was God, then why does this happen? And if God was God, why won't he fix everything? If God was God, why don't he just not allow the suffering that goes on in the world? And then we scratch our our head and say, "Um, I don't have an answer to that. You know what the answer is? We're saved by faith alone. And if God was to meet every need in our life all the time and come through every time we wanted them to come through, we'd know we would have a magic carpet ride through life, not a real sound faith. I think it would be appropriate to say yes, amen to that because that's the reality. God doesn't often come through because he walks us through not around the troubles. So the question comes down to us, who is going to be faithful? And the question comes back to this. John was a a, a prophet, the great man of God that experienced doubt. Now, it didn't say unbelief, but doubt. He doubted his beliefs, but he had beliefs to doubt. To be an unbelief is not to have belief. Tremendous difference. All right, so when uh, being a prophet, John being a prophet, it didn't keep him from doubt. Will being a Christian keep you from having doubt? No, we can agree that. If, if you're struggling, it seems like you have no answer. Despair comes in. We need to remember that we're living by faith alone. God loves us. And he's letting us stand for him and live for him. That should sustain us in faith. Jesus is standing for you in heaven. He believes in you. He's not condemning you. He's waiting for you. He's advocating for you. Jesus' view of the greatest prophet of all times is he is less than what he thinks about you and I, the weakest believer in this age. Doubting John? Or doubting Jim? Doubting Dale? Doubting Henry? Doubting Preacher? I stand guilty as accused. Let me tell you about my life. When I was first saved, I had I trusted God, I believed God, things going well, I had plans, believed every little portion of scripture, and it was all gonna work out for me. The older I get, the more I scratch my head. Is that true, Charlie? Peggy, is that true? Is that true? Shannon? I scratch my head. i tell you what. For the last three months, I have prayed that God would answer things and they don't go the way I want them. I have things that have happened in my life that I never would imagine happen, and they don't work out the way. And you know what? I've even gotten to the point that am I really a Christian? am I really saved? I didn't doubt my salvation 10 years ago, but I'm telling you, the preacher's saying that in the last six months, he said, God, am I really saved? And I got to reading this about John. And can you understand how encouraging it is to see that the greatest of all the prophets doubted the very truth of the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah thank you John not for all the great things you did but thank you that you've been in the same rut that I have been in. and here's what we got to do today as we close we're gonna have to learn how to be more honest with one another because you're standing strong and looking like you're just a gladiator for God it's causing the rest of us to think that we're the only poor pilgrim there is. So we're going to have to learn how to be honest with one another if we're going to be true disciples of Christ. And just say, man, how's your day gone? Miserable. Terrible. <laughs> Does that make any sense? So, preacher, what are you trying to tell us? I'm trying to tell us your foundation of faith is not built on how you feel but built on the faith in Jesus Christ that that is yours. And you're not experiencing unbelief. You, You do believe or you couldn't doubt. You are doubting. And you're looked at by God as better than the greatest prophet of all time. I could share with a lot of other things about that, but I've shared with you the very heart of what I think you need to carry on today. That's the way God thinks about you. And you're standing in faith alone. And just when the wind blows and you look like a reed blowing in the wind, you're just about ready to give up. remember that John was strong, yet he appeared to be weak, and he actually doubted who he was in Christ. Let's bow our heads and quietly stand at our feet as the musicians come. I want to give you an opportunity to become a Christian today if you're not one. I'm going to invite you to come to this altar, shake my hand, and someone will pray with you. And you can receive Christ as Savior if you're not a Christian. If you're not sure you're a Christian, you can come and someone will pray with you. If you feel like you're struggling unnecessarily, we invite you to come. That's what this place is for on Sunday morning. It's a place for us to come and kneel and pray to make things where they need to be with God. So as our, our heads are bowed, our pianos is playing, I invite you to come today. If you need an ally, we invite you to come today. to follow Jesus in some way? Let's sing that out one time. You come today if there's any need in your life. One more verse. You come for any reason today. You come. Just as I am, waiting not to rid my soul of one. you're Christian and you're young in the faith and you're struggling, you're struggling. You're not the only one struggling and that's not because of any weakness on your part. It's where you are. It's where you are. Just keep the struggle going for the glory of God. Amen? Let's have our ushers come to receive our morning offering.